Hello, everyone, and welcome to Berlin Companion, a weekly podcast about everything you never even knew you wanted to know about Berlin. My name is Beata, and some of you might know me as the woman behind the Berlin history blog called Kreuzberg Berlin Companion, or you might know me from Twitter. In the last two episodes, we talked about Berlin time and Berlin clocks. Today, we will take off in a completely different direction. It's April 1945 we are heading for. We're going to witness some memorable flights. And here a little disclaimer, there are plenty of aeroplanes flying above this room right now. So if you can hear anything in the background, I assure you that not all of it is planned sound effect. I hope it's not going to disturb the listening much. So let us begin, but we will begin a month earlier, in March 1945, when the Third Reich authorities issued an order that turned one section of Berlin's Nazi Ost-West-Achse, or East-West Axis, into a mid-city airstrip. By one section, we mean the remarkable boulevard that cuts through the Tiergarten Park, a thoroughfare known as Charlottenburger Chaussee before, and called Straße des 17. Juni today. In order to enable Luftwaffe machines to fly in the Nazi marine troops straight into the heart of Berlin, should such a move become necessary, and it obviously did, the boulevard was stripped of the famous Speerlaternen, which were streetlights designed by Albert Speer for the Ost-West-Achse, opened one day before Hitler's 50th birthday in 1939. The trees flanking both sides of the streets were felled too. This landing strip had to be wide enough to accommodate several different types of Luftwaffe machines, among others the legendary Junkers model U-52, which was better known and still is as Tante U, onto U. If necessary, Hitler's troops were to be flown right into the eye of the storm. But there can be hardly any doubt that the said airstrip was also designed as the last way out for both Hitler and other high-rank Nazis, And it came to good use. On April the 26th, 1945, Berlin was nothing more than a fiery battlefield swathed in angry, billowing clouds of dark smoke. The city was trembling under endless explosions that gutted it and killed thousands of those who sought sanctuary in its underground. At the same time, after its so-called Führer had taken his last refuge inside the fabled Führerbunker, the Red Army was already approaching the Tiergarten Park. And it was on that infernal day that two of Hitler's perhaps most cherished pilots performed what some consider the ultimate daredevil coup of Germany's Untergang. Hannah Reich and Robert von Greim flew and safely landed in Berlin. He was the weathered pilot who flew Hitler to the Weimar Republic's capital during the 1920 Cup Putsch, which was an attempted military coup to overthrow the young Republican government. And he was about to become German Field Marshal and be anointed as the new commander-in-chief of the Luftwaffe. She, a petite, 150 centimeters tall, but intrepid Nazi test pilot, was the first woman worldwide to become an aircraft captain and she was a holder of dozens of flying records. Hannah Reich was to accompany him on the way to the Third Reich Chancellery and to Hitler's bunker. 
She was, by the way, the only woman ever to have been awarded the Iron Cross first class, because there is no proof other than a newspaper clipping from Norway that its other alleged female recipient, nurse Elsa Grossman, actually got one. Coincidentally, that meant that the machine they flew had two first-class Iron Cross holders on board, which is not a mean feat for a tiny Fiesler Storch. Here, an important disclaimer. Just like with artists who profited from working for or with the Nazi regime, it's hard to differentiate between the person and their achievements if these were made possible by befriending the evil. There's no doubt whatsoever that Hannah Reich adored Adolf Hitler, and despite her steadfast denial of ever supporting or having been aware of Nazi atrocities, she, like Leni Riefenstahl, hardly deserves having her name recalled and commemorated. Yet both her aviatic achievements and what she did that day were brilliant, and they were beyond daring. So... I want to acknowledge her flying genius, but also make sure that everyone remembers whom and what it was that she served, and how she never accepted she had been part of the Nazi machine. Born in the Silesian city of Hirschberg, now Jelenia Góra in Poland, Hanna Reich wanted to become a pilot for as long as she could remember. As a four-year-old, she famously tried to jump off her family house balcony and was only prevented from taking a leap at the very last moment. Despite her parents, and especially her hard-to-please father's dislike for the idea of Hannah learning to fly, she eventually did become an exceptional aviatrix. Reich, her talent actually bordering on genius or mad, was a multiple world record holder in gliding, and later an absolutely fearless test pilot for almost every single German Second World War aircraft. She was also, as already mentioned, the first and the only woman ever to have been awarded the Iron Cross First Class, on top of the Iron Cross Second Class, an honour she shared with her greatest competitor, Melita von Stauffenberg, whose motivation for flying for Hitler was dramatically different from that of Hannah Reich something you should read about in the brilliant book Women Who Flew for Hitler by British biographer Claire Mully. So, on April the 20th, 1945, Hermann Göring infamously, or famously, fled the Berlin Coup to Obersalzberg, taking as many artworks with him as he could possibly load onto three long freight trains. Five days later... Ritter von Greim was named as Luftwaffe's new commander-in-chief and was to be sworn in as Göring's successor. To that end, he was told to report before the Führer in his bunker in Berlin. Von Greim contacted Hannah Reich, with whom he flew in 1943 to the Eastern Front to boost the morale of the Nazi troops, and with whom he had an affair, asking her to accompany him on that mission. Reich knew how to pilot a helicopter they were planning to land next to the bunker. She had been practicing mid-city helicopter landing in Berlin since late 1944. Six years earlier, in 1938 in Berlin, she became the first person in history to pilot a helicopter indoors. When Reich was the star of the Daily Show held in what was then the largest multi-purpose arena worldwide, the Deutschlandhalle. So Hannah Reich agreed in no time. After all, the mission had it all, the flight, 
the drama, the helicopter, Robert von Greim, and perhaps first and foremost, her beloved Adolf Hitler. And so she and the future General Field Marshal undertook what felt like an impossible task of getting through from Munich to Berlin and to the Führerbunker, where the Nazi leader was waiting to name von Greim as Göring's official successor. From Munich, they flew to Rechlin in Mecklenburg-Vorpommern, which is 60 miles or 100 kilometers northwest of Berlin. The airfield in Rechlin was Luftwaffe's main testing ground for new Nazi aircraft, and at the time it was still relatively safe. There, they boarded the next machine, a Focke Wolf 190, which was to bring them to the next airport, which was also the last Nazi controlled Berlin airfield, Berlin Gato. The Gato airfield was being battered by constant and relentless fire from the Soviet side. That bombardment destroyed the helicopter Hanna was planning to land in the Reich Chancery Gardens. By the way, they reached Gato as passengers. The chilling account of the flight to Gato includes Reich being pushed feet first through a small hatch with what she, in her own book, The Sky My Kingdom, calls a good deal of assistance, and being locked in a horizontal position inside the rear fuselage. The plane's cabin was namely too small for three, and to save the energy for later, they were being flown by another pilot. Von Greim, says Reich in her autobiography, by the way, had not been aware of her presence on board until she called out to him from her blind passenger seat. Whether that could be true, well, remains like so many of her own accounts difficult to believe. After touching down and seeing the extent of destruction in Gato, the two waited until the evening and at 6 p.m. boarded a small two-seater reconnaissance aircraft Fieseler Storch FI-156, which was more of a toy really than a piece of warfare than one could expect to be called for under the circumstances. But the tiny and comparably slow Fieseler Storch had one crucial advantage. As a STOL aircraft for short takeoff and landing, it needed as little as 20 meters to start and to land. In 1943, by the way, the very same machine was used to airlift Benito Mussolini from his arrest at a hotel on Campo Imperatore in the Gran Sasso Mountains in Italy, the event known as Unternehm Eiche, or in English as Gran Sasso Raid, and it was one of the most spectacular military operations of this sort ever. So now it was up to von Greim and Reich to make the best of it. He, being more experienced in flying under fire, took over the steering. Reich, who preferred to stand behind him, standing was only possible because of her size, focused on navigating them through to the makeshift airstrip in the tear garden. Before the takeoff, she leaned over his left shoulder to make sure she could reach both the steering stick and throttle, just in case von Greim were no longer able to fly the machine himself. It was a good move. Robert von Greim was an old hand at this. He was tough and had many crash landings behind him. As for Reich, she earned her own flying and crashing spurs during many test flights she performed. One of them, her test flight of the rocket-propelled Messerschmitt ME-163 Comet, nearly killed her. It was a miracle, really, that she could walk and talk again.
Test-flying the Stukas, Junkers U-87, infamous German dive bombers used in Guernica during the Spanish War and employed in 1939 to wreak havoc in Poland, brought her her first Iron Cross, the second class. By the way, for our British listeners out there, Hannah Reitsch also tested the Donier Doe 1-7, especially fitted to cut the English barrage balloon cables over London during the Blitz. So, even though these two were about to fly into an inferno, if anyone could land that machine in Berlin now, it was them. When they reached Berlin, it was hardly possible to see anything. So powerful and relentless was the Red Army's fire and the German side's response to the assault. With the aircraft flying low, just at the tree level, it was repeatedly hit. One of the projectiles smashed part of the airplane's floor and almost shattered von Grein's right foot into pieces. He's said to have lost consciousness and slumped to the side. It was then that Hannah Reitsch took over. She reached over von Greim in his seat, leaned against the side wall of the plane and grabbed the steering. Having established the position over the city, she headed for what she believed to be Charlottenburger Chaussee, or the Ost-West Axis. After that, with guns and cannons first pummeling at them from the ground and the streets below glowing with burning debris, she suddenly noticed that the shooting almost ceased. Sensing that the area must still have been controlled by the Nazis, she set the Fiesler Storch down safely between two of Berlin's most famous landmarks, Brandenburger Tor or Brandenburg Gate and the Victoria Säule, Victory Column, on today's Straße den 17. Juni. Then Reitsch pulled Ritter von Greim from the heavily damaged Fiesler Storch and, while waiting for the promised military vehicle, she even managed to dress his wounds as well as she could. After minutes of growing panic, the car arrived. It took them to Hitler's bunker, where several hours later von Greim received the highest command of the German Luftwaffe, along with the title of General Field Marshal. On April the 28th, at dawn, having accepted Hitler's decision to remain in the bunker and taking his personal gift for them, two small glass vials filled with blue potassium cyanide, Ironically, the word gift is also the German word for poison. Hannah Reitsch and Robert von Greim boarded an Arado machine waiting for them again in the tear garden near the victory column and flew out of the dying city. Convinced that it was Hitler who was on board of the plane, the Soviet third shock army units kept pummeling at it to bring the aircraft down, but the fire was in vain. Several days later, Hannah Reitsch and Robert von Greim were captured by the US troops in Austria in Kitzbühel. Hannah Reitsch spent several weeks being interrogated, followed by 15 months in an internment camp in Oberursel by Frankfurt am Main. In her memoirs, she describes herself as a victim of misunderstanding and poor treatment and vents her anger at and disappointment in the Americans. She refused the offer of joining other American aviation and aircraft experts in the United States and preferred to stay in Europe. Despite all this, and in spite of her Nazi past, in 1972 she was awarded the American title of the Pilot of the Year. Although she continued her career as an expert glider pilot and kept breaking new records as well as introducing new standards, in 1958 Poland, 
the country I come from, banned Reich from participating in the World Glider Championships organized there that year. She might have been a brilliant aviatrix. She definitely was a fearless pilot, but first and foremost, Reich was an ardent Nazi. Despite what many wanted to believe, you could be one even without a party card. She worshipped her Führer, and she did her best to support and promote and prolong the regime's reign. Reich was also a coward. She was a coward in her denial of her own crime. She never recognized or come to that admitted her guilt, and she displayed no signs of accepting her responsibility. Which was just another common trait she shared with one of her greatest competitors for Hitler's attention, Riefenstahl. Robert von Greim, due to his foot wound, unable to travel to Berlin for the signing of German surrender in Berlin Karlshorst, killed himself with the cyanide capsule given to him by Hitler. He was to be passed into the Soviet hands. He died in May 1945 in Salzburg after the successful escape from Berlin and Germany. Salzburg was not a coincidence, by the way. It was there that Hannah Reich's parents, as well as her sister with her children, settled after they had fled from Silesia. And it was there that Reich's father, a doctor of medicine, took care that the group suicide attempt succeeded. With her brother already dead, Reich lost all of her nearest and dearest. She considered their death an act of heroic resistance and saw them as victims, not as perpetrators. Exactly as for the rest of her life, she saw herself. Hannah Reich died in Frankfurt am Main on August 24, 1979, allegedly of an acute heart failure. However, after some initial doubts concerning the other vial given to her and von Greim by Hitler, as well as due to the fact that her body was never given any post-mortem, rumors she eventually killed herself never really died down. Hannah Reich was an ambiguous character and should forever be seen as such. Today, with the Second World War slowly vanishing in our back mirror, her story should be retold to remember her achievements, of which there were many, but mainly to remind ourselves and those to come after us that, like many others, despite her protest and the obvious denial, she was part of the Nazi horror. And as many other utterly vile people who were part of the Nazi regime and went unpunished, she, she managed to wing it too. I hope you enjoy this slightly longer and perhaps less cheerful episode of Berlin Companion podcast today. Please leave a rating or a comment. And if you haven't done so yet, follow the podcast on your podcast streaming service of choice. It's available on all major platforms now. And perhaps consider becoming the show's sponsor. It would greatly help cover the cost of its production. You'll find the details in the show notes under Buy Me a Coffee. And of course, do return next week for another story from the archives of Berlin Companion. In the meantime, you will find me on Twitter at Kreuzberg, that's Kreuzberg with ED at the end, and on WordPress under Kreuzberg Berlin Companion. My books are available via Berlinarium at Big Cartel. Thank you for joining me today. I'll see you in Berlin. Berlin.